Direct from both Eternia and Etheria, from deep within the confines of Castle Grayskull, it's time to join in the battle for the power of goodness with Chris Vint and the Masters of the Universe Chronicles. Hi there and welcome to another interview section of the Masters of the Universe Chronicles. Today, uh, today's an interview with a difference. Uh, I never thought I would get this gentleman on the show. Uh, I'm sitting here, my face is probably the colour of my red jumper because I'm just beaming from cheek to cheek. So, sir, if you could please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Larry Dottilio. Uh I'm a writer. I've written for lots of animation series, lots of live action series, did a movie or two. Um... That's about it. <laughs> well, you've you've done <laughs> you've done something pretty important with the Masters Universe and Shira stuff, uh, Mister Tatelio. So you know, like, um, it's a complete honour and a privilege to be sitting here, um, having a conversation with you. I, from the bottom of my heart, I sincerely thank you for coming on the show. It means a great deal to me, and I make a mean a great deal to the fans as well. Whenever we go over some of the questions, uh, in a minute or two. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks. <laughs> I was it funny I googled myself yesterday and I was shocked <laughs> uh, so, so do you I got 32,000 hits <laughs> I said oh no yeah. well uh, unfortunately I'm not quite there yet but um, give me a few years and I'll probably still no, be nowhere near you but <laughs> anyway uh, do you mind if I crack on with the questions Larry yes let's do it Okay. First question I have for you is, what were your earliest memories of He-Man, and how did you first hear about the show? Oh, this is an interesting story. I first heard about the show through Michael Halperin, who, as you know, did the uh, Bible for the original He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and then later worked on uh, Mike Young's He-Man. Mike and I were good friends from the Writers Guild. Mm -hmm. Um... I had just come back from uh, a, a, a fill-in job as a game designer at uh, in Phoenix for Flying Buffalo Incorporated, and I also was a, I'm, I'm a role-play gamer right. and a board gamer and a card gamer. I'm a, I'm a gamer. <laughs> um, Michael called me up and said, "Hey," he says, "You write sword and sorcery." I never knew that. I says, "Well, yes, yes, I do write sword and sorcery." Um, I said, why? You know, he said, well, I was, I was going through the Dragon magazine, which is the Dungeons and Dragons magazine that used, used to be published, and he found this big article, I, actually it was a dungeon, that I put in there, and he says, you can, man, you can write sword and sorcery. He says, and we're starting a new show called He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Now, obviously, I chuckled a little. <laughs> I mean, really, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. I said, oh, okay. He says, why don't you go down, why don't you call Arthur Nadell at Filmation, come in with a couple of stories, and see what happens. So um, I, I was excited, because I was young and um, hadn't worked that much. Um, and I went down and saw Arthur Nadell, and I went in with three stories, and um, told him my least favorite two first, which is my, always my way of pitching, 
because they're not listening to the first story and the second story they're deciding how to criticize. The third story they listen to. <laughs> so my best story is always the third, and that was The Dragon's Gift. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as I was penning The Dragon's Gift, uh, I turned in the first draft. And when I turned in the first draft, Arthur called me and said, how'd you like to work on staff? And I said, oh, <laughs> I'd absolutely like to work on staff. Um, so he hired me. Uh, and I said, well, what? I said, I'm still writing The Dragon's Gift. He said, well, you're gonna, yeah, it's a freelance script. He said, so you've got to do that at home. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that how I got on He-Man. It's, uh, I, I blame D&D for it. <laughs> oh, no, I'll, I'll thank them. I'll not blame them. I'll thank them for it, if anything. Um, so you were employed as a writer on the series. Um, was that how that came about then? Well, The Dragon's Gift was exactly how I got on the series, but oddly enough, it was not the script I was working on when I started to work. Okay. Um, they gave me, and it was literally called a script that would not die. <laughs> in fact it was I'll tell you how much they, they felt about this the script was on my desk with a stake through it <laughs> literally <laughs> you know now this was a joke of course but <laughs> they said listen we've been trying to beat this script for like the last three months and nobody can do it you want to do it you know or, well, actually they didn't say you want to do it they said here we'd like you to take a shot at it mm-hmm. And I looked at it, and I, I really hated it. <laughs> uh, however, I made it, uh, and in fact, in deference to the writer of the script, I'm not. I'm going to tell you which script it is. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. But it that's did get on the air, and it and it was a successful script, and I think that probably cemented me in as a writer on the series. Okay. Um, do you did you have any writing influences whenever you're you were penning the scripts? Uh, well, always. Uh, I, as I said, I was a ro- I was a role play gamer. I was also a big, big sword and sorcery fan. So Robert E. Howard, Fritz Leiber, Michael Moorcock, Tolkien, of course, and my very favorite Rogers Elasny. Okay. They were writers. I read I read all I read all of their work. <laughs> right. I loved Moorcock for Elric. I loved uh, Howard for Conan. Leiber's. Uh, Gray Mouser and uh, Farford, which was terrific. Uh, obviously, Tolkien's virtues or <laughs> sometimes drawbacks are evident <laughs> and Zelazny was just brilliant and I, he was of the of those men I, I actually got to meet Roger Zelazny one night oh, in fact interviewed him on the radio and it was <laughs> it was my just my favorite time I had, had like every book he had in a in a big box and he signed most of them now you know how <laughs> I feel nice don't you <laughs> um, so you said about trying to bring a wealth of new characters uh, into the into the universe, such as Grandmere, Malaktha, and Shakoti. Um, which of these stand out for you? Well, none of them actually stand out for me. That creating new characters is one of the things you do on a series, especially a toy series, a series that's based on toys. Mm-hmm. You know, you're so locked into those toy characters that you you, you want to, you want to contribute something that wasn't made by Mattel. <laughs> let's, okay. let's say that. that that's not a, not a toy per se, that you don't have to follow certain rules and writing about them. You know, try to bring in characters that, that support your main characters and yet are colorful in their own right. And that, that's, uh, there's, there are actually three different reasons on those three characters that you mentioned. And, and don't forget another of my favorite, Katrina. 
oh, yes, from yes. the cat and the spider. Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally loved her. <laughs> <laughs> she was really great. People seemed to like her as well. Um, so you bring in new characters to contribute something that's yours. And Granamere was mine because he came out of an old uh, flying buffalo dungeon that I had written uh, as a, a big master dragon. Although they, they, when they published that, they changed the name because they didn't want to get sued by <laughs> by Mattel. Oh, that's <laughs> And so they changed it. But uh, that was the original name of the of the dragon. And I, I just, I, I'm crazy for dragons, and I. I I created this nice character, and I really, that's one of my best scripts, uh, if not the best script I ever wrote on He-Man. Malaxa, I had a, I'm a, I was a big civil rights thing, and to me the show was w- way too all white. And I said, you know, we got to have, let's, let's bring in some black characters here. I mean, what is this, uh, it's just, this, you know, this is the South, <laughs> where, where are we here? <laughs> let's bring in some diverse characters, you know. Shikoti comes from all my H.P. Lovecraft, uh, writings. I did a, a big, huge H.P. Uh, Lovecraft game called The Mask of Nihilahotep for Chaosium. And I got really interested in that mythos. And I wanted to do something basically to scare the, the jabbers out of kids. It's <laughs> 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 one of those little pleasures we get sometimes <laughs> in writing cartoons. I said, I want to I do something that really scares people and, and has like Cthulhuoid creatures in it, you know, with 78 eyes and 58 mouths. And, you know, it's just they're horrible, all of them. Um and I created Shikoti, and and also it was uh, I, I got away with a lot on on <laughs> on he man. I have to say, you know, I made her pretty sexy. She was pretty much a, a, a young boy's dream. Um, so I liked all those characters, each for a different reason. One, and I brought more diversity. One, I just brought in like an element of horror uh, that was kind of, even though Skeletor is a human <laughs> skeleton, he's not really that horrible because he was kind of a comic opera villain at that time. Um, so, and always bringing in, I was always trying to bring in new characters, there was Katrina, there was Octavia and, and stuff, and also, it was, it was a kind of a little toy company revenge, <laughs> you know, I said, here, here's a character that's not a toy, <laughs> okay. and that made me feel good. <laughs> super, super. So, after becoming a staff writer, um, did you feel that you had more influence over the series? Well, uh, that's a yes and no answer on that one. Um, if if you're on staff, you you definitely have more influence than you do as a freelancer. As a freelancer, it's just your one script. That's you know they'll take it, they'll rewrite it, they'll do whatever they want with it. If you're on staff, you're going to do the rewriting on your own script. Of course, you're also going to do the rewriting on all those other scripts that have to be rewritten. <laughs> Um, and that's actually rewriting is more of a job of a staff writer than actual writing is. Now I wrote a lot of scripts for for He Man because I I loved writing scripts, and um, I I didn't have more influence per se because the control always remains with the production staff. It was with Lou and Arthur. They called all the shots, and I I was a mixer, so I used to argue a lot with Arthur and. Arthur had a phrase, in fact, he said, Larry, he said, you're, you're living in a dream world. <laughs> and I said, Arthur, you pay me to live in a dream world. <laughs> I said, so, you know, if we have to dream, let's, let's argue about it. <laughs> I would, I would, I'd fight for what I thought was, was right on a script, uh, what I thought was wrong at, at some point, and say, you know, when I was rewriting stuff. Um, and 
what you do is you build a trust. As a, if you're on staff, it means they trust you as a writer. They're, they're not going to, you know, ride you really hard because they trust you to do your job. Um, if you do your job, you do have more influence over the series, and you move up. Okay. And so, yes, on the the, it, it, the there is a little more influence, but the control always is with production. Okay. Um, can you actually recall any of the freelance scripts that you rewrote and chose not to um, include your name on? Uh, I I did rewrites on almost everything that came across the board. Either I or one of the other. I mean, I was not the only staff writer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was Roby Gorin and later Joe, uh, J. Michael Straczynski and Robbie London. They were all on staff as well. Um, later, I got Bob Forward on staff by making him into a writer. <laughs> Um, which he'll he'll uh, cop to. <laughs> Actually, he says that he says if it wasn't for you, I'd never be a writer. Um, and he's a good writer, so I was glad to give him a shot. Um, anyway, the my I'm also a member of the Writers Guild of America because I also write live action. And credit jumping is something that's a, a big deal with me. It's always a big deal. It's a bigger deal in live action television because it comes with money attached in the terms of residuals. In terms of animation, because we're not under the writer's guild, we've been fighting to get under for the last 30 years. Um, and, not, and still not having much luck at that. Uh, we, as writers, we should be under the writer's guild, but we're under the animation union because that's the deal that was made a long time ago. Disney loves that deal because that union is right in his back, their back pocket. <laughs> so, and, so that's why in 20 years the the fees for writing scripts, for animation scripts, have not um, grown more than like a thousand dollars over 20 years. It used to be like five thousand. Now at the most you'll get maybe seven, and then there's and then that's it. You get paid once, unlike in television where every time your thing runs. Um, you get paid again, yeah. which, of course, for animation, things run all over the world, and they run over and over and over again. I would be a rich man if I had some visuals <laughs> on But we don't. We don't have them now, and we, you know, we're still fighting. We still have a caucus, and we're still trying to get ourselves out of the animation union and into the Writers Guild, but it's a long, hard fight. Uh, we've been in court and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, that I'm, I'm, I don't want to go too <laughs> too far on that arcane stuff. <laughs> okay, no problem. My rule on on rewriting was I, I call it the fifty percent rule. If I had to do more than fifty percent of the work to get the script in shape, then I would put my name on it. Most times that was not true, so I would I would not put my name on it. Had I been working in live action, I would not have put my name on anything. Okay. Because in live action, I'm costing the writer money. Mm-hmm. In animation, I'm not costing him anything other than to say, you know, you did a fucked up job and you cost me a lot of work, so I'm stacking my name on, this, on the script. As a matter of fact, there was one script, and again, I won't mention what script it was, uh, in which I really had to rewrite the whole thing from page one to the end. And the funny story on that is a couple of years later, I was working at uh, Ruby Spears. And the writer of the script um, showed up at Ruby Spears to try to get a job on one of the Ruby Spears show, and he handed in a, a script sample. And it was the script I had rewritten. It was not his <laughs> version of the script, though. It was not the first draft. It was my version of the script. And uh, Mike Chain, who had also worked over at He-Man, 
was, was then at Ruby Spears, and he said, hey, you, you must know this guy. He said, you were working on He-Man over there. Uh, he says, this is a really good script. He says, <laughs> he says uh, I'm thinking of hiring him. And I looked at it, and I said, oh, well, thank you. I'm already hired. <laughs> I said, because this is the rewrite I did of the script. And I said, the guy turned in a piece of crap. <laughs> you know. And so he didn't get that. He didn't get the job at Ruby Spears many years later. <laughs> the cheek of some people. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I mean, the guy knew that this was not his work; it was mine, yeah. but mine was better than his, so he, yeah. he, he used it as a sample. Might as well have done his homework for him whenever but he took my name well. off of it. <laughs> you know, my name wasn't on the script; it was just his name. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> yeah, I said, so, okay. Well, you know, it's, I guess it's kind of flattering. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he appreciated your work, you know, to get him a job. Yeah, he and, did. You know, he probably yeah. didn't appreciate that I was there at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, could you tell me how Shira came about? I believe you actually created her. I don't know that I created so much as I named her. I mean, she was, I mean, there, she was there. I mean, we were, you know, we had gone through uh, oh, 130 episodes of He-Man. And then they decided to do She-Ra and maybe maybe bring girls' toys uh, into vogue in Sword and Sorcery, which was, I, I kind of say that's kind of a radical step for Mattel. Um, they're very boy and girl oriented. And He-Man was always a boy show, and then so they wanted a girl show, but that also boys would like. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know how they think. Uh, they're very strange. <laughs> um, they, you know, so they had. They said we just she, she, she wants she has to be you know Prince Adam's uh, long lost sister. So you got to come up with a story for that, which which you know the story of, which is the first five episodes. Um, and. Uh, they were originally we were going to call she was going to be called Hera um, and then they came back and they said oh no that's copyrighted I said but that's Zeus's wife how do you copyright <laughs> Zeus's wife <laughs> Zeus's wife Hera you know so what I wanted was I wanted a name I said okay I, you know like it's He-Man you know and the masses now of course we couldn't make it you know She-Woman and the Mistresses of the Universe <laughs> which I, I suggested as a title <laughs> in jest and they you know they beat me out of the office with a whip <laughs> but get out of it don't ever say that again the Mistresses of the Universe I thought it was a pretty, pretty cool title <laughs> so we came up with Princess of Power now, I still wanted something that showed that, that, that like He-Man's name, just he's He-Man, you know, he's, he's the embodiment of all male goodness. Uh, so I wanted her to be like equal uh, in that vein, and I was big into Egyptian mythology. I was in fact reading a, a book about Egyptian mythology at the time, and I said, well, Ra is, uh, is uh, I said, what could I put with she that won't sound stupid? You know, and uh, I said, Ra. I said, she's, so she's like she-god, she-goddess. You know, so I called her She-Ra. Now, my family, my niece's name is Shira. Right. Not She-Ra, but Shira. She's not, but they, they like to think that I named it after her. <laughs> I, said, I said, no, I didn't. I said, it sounds, it sounds the same, but I actually didn't. But, <laughs> but they... they and they like to tell that story, so I let them tell that story. And I did develop her. I developed her as a character, and I developed the whole world uh, in response to what had happened on He-Man for two seasons, two very long seasons. Um, the thing with He-Man was he never acted unless Skeletor acted. 
mm-hmm. or or some villain acted. And if nobody did anything, he may wouldn't do anything. <laughs> Shira was, and I said, well, I said, I said that's that's fine, but you know that's that's par for the course. But I said when we make this series, I want Shira to be uh, active, uh, proactive, not reactive. Mm-hmm. You know, so let's make her be the one that's fighting, struggling for that. And that, and you know, was around the Star Wars time, and I, I did a little little, you know. Filching <laughs> from uh, George Lucas, <laughs> and I made it the Great Rebellion, and so that they were they always could be proactive. They could say, "Hey, let's uh, do some. Let's go to the fright zone, you know, just to mess Hordak up, and you know, and let, watch him drop in through the tra- the trap door again." <laughs> um, or no, it was uh, what the other one, the Spider Mantra. <laughs> they always dropped yeah. into the trap door. Okay. Um, that's how it came about. I wanted I wanted a show where we could we would say well, we're going to go out. And we're going to do a mission. They were they were always on their missions. They didn't have to be sent out by the king or or have Skeletor be attacking something. Mm-hmm. You know, Hordak was in control. So it was like a it was a total flip of of He Man in that in He Man's world, He Man sprints Adam and the king. His father's the king. Uh, they're in control. In mm-hmm. uh, uh, Etheria. Hordak is in control, and he's in control of the whole place until Shira comes along. So that's how it came about, and okay. and that's why I made the, the the moves I did. Okay, you actually changed the if memory serves from one of the documentaries. Uh, the uh, transformation sequence was going to be different. What she actually said. Yes. Yeah. They wanted it. Uh, I I think the original thing uh, they wanted to catch. You know, the uh, toy companies always want a catchphrase. They love catchphrases. They love catchphrases. More catchphrases. More catchphrases. You know, something people say. You know, like I have the power. You know, <laughs> it had to be something like I have the power. You know, uh, but Teeman had the power, so she couldn't have the power too. So we had to come up with something. Uh, at first, I had made it for the grace of Grayskull, but that because of that grace and Grayskull, it's hard for a voice actor to not actually, you know, get start sounding stupid over. <laughs> uh, so uh, <laughs> you know, it's, and voice actors are wonderful, wonderful people. I, I love them to pieces. Um, but it's hard to you don't use alliteration. It's it, it just it gets uh, nasty. And then someone said, "Well, uh, you know," I said. They said, "How about for the honor of Grayskull?" I said, "Well, that that sounds catchy. That's pretty catchy." So, <laughs> and I thought, so Shira's always fighting for her honor. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, that was. <laughs> they they didn't like that either. They threw me out of the office again. <laughs> Don't say Whip, that. Whipped <laughs> again. Whipped her again yeah. <laughs> so uh, oh, I was wh- I, I'm, I was a terrible I was a terrible mixer when I was uh, younger. <laughs> anyway, that's that's how Shira came about, and um, you know, well, let's let's move forward. Okay, so uh, yeah. when writing Hordak, um, did you feel he was a completely different villain than Skeletor? Well, I, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but Hordak was originally supposed to be a He-Man villain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, uh, they, the Horde, they, the, Mattel had decided to put out a whole toy line on the Horde, you know, all, his, all the science fiction vehicles and all, yeah. the, all, all the, techno, the techno vehicles. They had, they had that ready to go. And that was actually supposed to be, they were supposed to be the chief villains in like another season of He-Man. Okay. 
Now, I don't know why that was... To, they had everything. I mean, they had designed everything. They designed how Hordak looked and all into the catchers, Scorpio, and that, all that kind of stuff was designed. You know, but it was all supposed to be plugged into He-Man. Now, for some reason, um, which I don't know, it might have had to do with ratings or the fact that toy sales had dropped or something like that, they decided that since they had created all these these things and they had they had production ready to go on them, that they'd put them into... They'd make them the villains in Shira. Okay. Now, they're the only one that doesn't fit that mold is, of course, Shadow Weaver, who I threw in because I said, "What we have here is a, is a story of ma- of magic and spirit versus technology." Um. So uh, they need a magician to counter us, and you know we we need magicians and technology to counter them. Um. So she was the only, and again, she never became a toy, which is one regret I do have, because the women loved her a lot, Shadow Weaver. There's an Australian gal that has like an entire shrine to Shadow Weaver on her website. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is a lot of people who actually want Shadow Weaver as one of the new classic figures from the new Masters of the Universe thing, so, but apparently they can't do it for, uh, so I think they have the rights to it or something along those lines. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And also, Hordak was different from. So we, I wanted to make Hordak different from Skeletor. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a, I think, a little more villainous. By this time, I this Skeletor. After we had made like seventy-eight thousand jokes about him, uh, particularly <laughs> when Straczynski came in, you know, he, he was getting. There, I, I, a lot about He-Man. Uh, we suffered from the Skeletor syndrome. In other words, every story had Skeletor in it, mm-hmm. and he was always the catalyst of the story. So you might say he was the star of the series. <laughs> and to tell you the truth, Skeletor was like the third favorite character on the series. <laughs> it was oh, like He-Man, uh, the Sorceress, and then Skeletor. the kids all love Skeletor. Okay. In fact, one kid once told me, he said, couldn't he win one? <laughs> couldn't he win one? <laughs> Just one? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I said, oh, sorry, that's, they'll never let me do that. So, <laughs> On the other hand, you know, Mike, Mike Young let me do that. Yeah, um, but Hordak was also in charge of the of the uh, uh, you know of the property, and so uh, Skeletor was not. He was trying to conquer Eternia. Hordak had already conquered Etheria. That was the, that's the main difference between them. Hordak also had you know had silly things about him, but I kind of liked him. I, I liked uh, the voice actor on that too, George Dicenzo, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, you know so he he gave it a different feel. Yep. So that we could do a show that was different from he from He Man. All right, super. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, was there a specific reason why you left Shira and Filmation at the end of the first se- season? Uh, yeah, it's the, the, the age old, <laughs> it's the age old motivation: money, <laughs> um, and Straczynski. Money and Straczynski. Straczynski got offered a job at Deke when he was uh, working on He Man, and. He said they he said they really need guys over there because at the time Deke was the largest supplier of cartoons for television in Los Angeles, uh, actually you know, over the over the world because Deke was a partly a French company. Uh, Jean Chalapin, uh, one of my one of my favorite enemies. Um, <laughs> anyway, they offered Straczynski this job, and he says they they got a show and they and they were in trouble on it, and and he says I, he says you know I I, I says, you should talk to them. I think they'll hire. Well, they basically doubled what I was making at, at Filmation. Um, 
you know, so it was ice. And I loved filmation. You know, I'll, I'll get to that in, in later questions. Uh, but um, I mean, I just couldn't turn that offer down. It was like a really, really terrific offer. Um, and I was working for the largest supplier of cartoons and film. You know, filmation was kind of on, just doing. They just did stuff for syndication. We had a couple of shots at network shows, but they didn't let me carry them through. One of them, which would have been the Dragon Riders of Pern. Um, you know that? Do you know that series? I am not familiar with it. No. Oh, Anne McCaffrey's Dragon Riders of Pern. Oh, it's a terrific classic uh, dragon series with you know, dragon riders and terrific, terrific books. And we actually, uh, I worked with her for a while at Filmation on on developing that show. We pitched it to CBS. They actually liked it, but Lude said, ah, "I don't want to get, I don't want to get involved with the networks anymore." Because they took networks took control, and Lou liked to keep control of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was not just ego; it was so he could do things the way he wanted things to be done. And in most cases, he was right. Okay. In some cases, he was wrong. And on Dragon Riders, <laughs> I really wish I, I knew that there, there had been a, a callback from Michael Cassidy, who was a friend of mine, who was at the time working as an executive at CBS. Anyway, so that was it. I mean, it just was. A, it was a better job. Uh, that was. I went to work on Jason the Wheeled Warriors. There, it was a grueling okay. job. We had to write a script a week because the show was about two months behind, and they were never going to make their air dates. I wrote eleven. Joe wrote twelve. One of just killer. <laughs> but it was a great job because they did. They could not stop us. They could not. They could not. We, the show was so far behind that if anybody had a uh, a bitch, they just couldn't. You you couldn't go back and rewrite the script. You had to keep going forward. So we got away with a lot on that show. We had people committing suicide. I can't tell you the things we got away with. I once killed Jason's whole family. You know, it was just a dream, but I did kill the whole family. <laughs> it was kind of it was fun, you know. Um, and but that's the reason I left, and that's the reason most people leave jobs. You you get a better job. No, that's totally understandable, totally understandable. Um, mm-hmm. So some writers are less than complimentary about their work on He-Man. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, you have two kinds of writers. Uh, well, maybe you have 78 kind of writers, I don't know. But to me, you have two <laughs> kind of writers that work in animation, particularly. Um, there's the kind of writers that say, ah, this is a kid show, you know. So, you know, I will have them knock each other around a few minutes, have a lot of good action, some action gags, you know, and write a couple of lines of dialogue, and I'll be, I'll be finished with this stupid kid show. And I'll have, you know, uh, a whopping $3,000 in my pocket or something, which at that time was, was good money, but, <laughs> you know, not uh, anymore. Yeah. Um, now, those, those are the writers that usually that I would be rewriting a lot. Um. The second type of writer was somebody like Dorothy Fontana, who, or DC Fontana, better known as DC Fontana, who was on uh, the story editor on the original Star Trek and later on Star Trek Next Generation, who's a good and dear friend of mine. She wrote the Battle Cat script in which she did, uh, you know, like Cringer's uh, origin story. Yes. Um, and which was very good. Now, now Dorothy, like a lot of the writers on He-Man, uh, concentrated on the cast is the only way you can pull this off is you have to think of these people as real people if you don't think of them as real people you say ah oh, they're just characters in a kid show they're just they're the same old characters you know you don't get anything out of them if you think like that if you think like like Dorothy or Len Wein or any of the great writers we had on this we had a lot of great writers on the show 
Most yeah. of them got their start there, as did I. Um, you concentrate on them as real people, and then you get to you get emotions in the in the story. And we needed that, frankly, because we didn't have the animation really to pull off him in. <laughs> Very so true. We had, it was really it was stories, you know, that pulled off He-Man. It wasn't, you know, the, you you wouldn't look at He-Man and say, "Well, oh, that is the greatest animation just ever done," you know. <laughs> um, I mean, sometimes nothing moved, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know those pans. I hated pans and stuff like that. But that's the difference in the writers. Some people just they just say, "Ah, you know, it's I don't I don't." We used to have people that turned in like a script in two days, you know, which they just hacked out. And you always wind up doing extra work as a staff writer with writers like that. We had people that we we knew were going to uh, bomb out, and that'd have to rewrite it, which pissed me off at the time. But it was it was actually sweet of Arthur. Okay. Um, Arthur Nadell, who was not with us anymore, um, died several years back. He gave more people his their writing starts in Hollywood, I think, than anybody in the whole world, and Lou as well. Mm-hmm. They just they were terrific people to work for. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but anyway, that's the thing on the on the writers. If you if you if you take the show and says this is a real thing and these people have real emotions and they're really in jeopardy, you get a better script. You know, yeah. if you're just going to take them as well, I'll just rewrite the script I did on Thunder the Barbarian and I'll turn it in for He Man. Mm-hmm. I wish I could have worked on Thunder the Barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. Um, no, I I love He Man. Okay, so what are you most proud of uh, during your time at Filmation, He-Man or She-Ra? Oh, I'm not answering that trick question. <laughs> That's a trick question. <laughs> just, just move along to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> I love them both. I mean, they're. I Shira was more. I guess I felt kind of more proprietary to Shira because I created most of what was the Shira world. Yeah. So, I, I was kind of closer to that show. Uh, but I had done two seasons of He-Man. That's 130 scripts. That's a heck of a lot of scripts. And so I, I worked more on... I worked quite a bit... I think I wrote 15 scripts on both, just originals, not counting, rewrites. Yeah. And I think just each show... I mean, each show is beloved at this point. I mean, we're <laughs> really beloved. It's a, it's, it's a mystery to me. But, um, you know, they, they were great. It was great. Uh, they, were both, they were both great. I don't love one better than the other. You're never going to trap me into saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for that question then. I apologize. Uh, Robert Lamb described filmation, uh, working at Filmation as inspired lunacy. Uh, what was it like working at Filmation from your point of view? Fabulous. Fabulous. There's, uh, the thing about Filmation is it was one of the last... Uh, animation studios, and that even and even counting Disney, we just kept all the work here. Yeah. Was never sent overseas. We never worked with another company. Um, we we did it, we did it all for better or worse. Uh, everything that was done at Filmation was done at Filmation in that building out in the out in the valley here, which I had to I had to go like an hour. <laughs> By the way, I was never uh, on time for work one day <laughs> in, in my two three years at Filmation. <laughs> because I had to get I'd have to get up early in the morning and drive on the freeway for oh gee, I don't know it wasn't a hundred miles or anything like that but it was it was a long drive for me and I hated it and 
author said, well, you're out there, you're a pioneer. I said, I don't want to be a pioneer, I want to sleep. (laughs) 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 I always get in there, I I wouldn't be that late, but, you know, I'd get there about 8.30 or something. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, It was just, filmation was more like working in a family than it was like working in a business. Mm-hmm. Because everybody knew everybody. The ink and painters knew the in-betweeners. The artists knew the writers. Um, you know, uh, Lou and, and, and Arthur uh, made it all run. They were... The, the money was never great uh, because Lou... And, and because Lou was working on a shoestring. And he, in all his career, he, were, he has managed to create stuff on a shoestring that, that, you know, resonated with people. And, you know, he made uh, quite a lot of good money for himself, but he didn't pay any of it to us. Um, still, I mean, the guy was like, I, I, I'm not, he was like a second, second dad to me. I mean, and he was like, I think to everybody at Filmation, uh, he was actually Erica's dad, (laughs) his daughter who, you know, and he'd do all, you know, he'd do like 78 voices and, and everything to save, to save money and stuff like that. But he was a fabulous employer, you know, as long as you're doing your job, you know, he left you alone. And you know to do your job, and he was just he was just nice to everybody, and so was Arthur. Um, you know we had arguments, we had fights, we we had all that kind of stuff. But just the, the whole place was just you really enjoyed going to work every day. You know, which is you know, most people I think can't say that. Oh, I really enjoyed getting up at eight thirty and, and driving all that thing. I did. Once I got there, you know, and we boy we'd be pounding all day and we'd be running around and. You know, we'd go on paintball expeditions. You know, the whole studio <laughs> go go fight some the state champions one time. Beat the crap out of them. <laughs> um, it was yeah. We had a nut. I, I brought in a nut. I brought in a ringer. This crazy my crazy friend of mine, Tom Kiefer. Boy, that guy could shoot. <laughs> he must have killed half that team. <laughs> that was the famous filmation paintball uh, war we had. Brilliant. And we just you know there was. There were parties, you know, there were rap parties and stuff like that, and, you know, there was a great, uh, when we opened the movie, uh, Lou has a beautiful, beautiful house out in Tarzana, and uh, there was a party there, and we had a great party, and we, with all the voice actors, everybody was there, it was terrific. It was, and, the, uh, and the best thing about it was, you could learn the, the entire craft of animation just by walking around the studio. So you knew what the ink and painters did, you knew what, you knew how... The, the whole process of animation worked and you knew why they were doing what they were doing and it was kind of the last uh, animation company in in LA that offered that everybody else was working with Korea Japan Australia South America big Disney's big in South America uh, and you know it was an American company uh, and it was helped to kind of get together with taste and feeling wax but you know if any anybody can make it run it would be Lou and it was just it was just wonderful. I, I can't say enough about Filmation. I, I hate to gush, but I have to gush when I, th- I think of them. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, so is there anything from the Filmation days that you didn't do but wish you had? Uh, well, I wish I hadn't write that, <laughs> that script with the stake through it. No, I really, I say, if I had stayed longer at Filmation... Uh, I probably would have been promoted up to a producer pr- uh, position, and um, that would have that would have helped my career a lot. Um, 
So that's that's a regret I had that I never got that title. Titles, uh, you know, they're pretty meaningless, but they mean a lot in terms of how people look at you. If you could okay. if you could say, well, I was a producer over at Filmation, you know, that was actually better than being uh, I was a hack writer over at Filmation. <laughs> it was much better, than this. and and you know, it would get you into higher level jobs where you had more control on your work. I didn't get that there. But I moved around after Filmation. I moved around to a lot of animation companies, and they never really much stayed long at any of them because they just they were not like Filmation. They were, they were, they were either meat markets or, you know, uh, idiot shops. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it just uh, there it was, it was terrific, you know. But that's my only regret, that I didn't, I didn't go on to, to get that title before I left. Okay. Um, so talking into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I blame him. He, he, was, he, was, he was scared to go over there alone. So <laughs> <laughs> he said, come on, you got to go to Ohio, too. And they did, and, you know, we were making nice money. Okay. So yeah. do you actually keep in contact with any of the other people who worked at well, Filmation? Uh, this you? is going to make you mouth water. We had a huge reunion, like, a, a couple of years ago. All right. Somebody said, "Hey, let's get together. We're going to go to this. We're going to take over this whole restaurant out in the valley, and and you know, send out the word. Inflammation come, and like it was like everybody that had ever worked there <laughs> came to this reunion. I mean, really? you saw I saw people I hadn't seen in twenty years. You know, and we were all older, <laughs> um, and we were all drinking a lot harder. <laughs> 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 but uh, you know, it was a it was a wonderful reunion." Uh, reunion. <laughs> See that? I'm probably drinking now. It was a wonderful <laughs> reunion. A terrific, a terrific thing. We may do it again at some point. Now, Lou, uh, while we were doing all the He-Man and uh, Shira DVDs, I was doing commentary on a lot of those, and so was Lou. So Lou and I we saw each other a lot. Um, and Lou would always say, he says, I don't, I don't remember. Uh, you know, he's. I don't remember anything. He says, "Ask Larry." He's Larry knows everything. <laughs> I, I used to, but I, I don't anymore. <laughs> but he says, "No, he's the guy you want to talk to." He says, "He really knows what you mean." He says, "You talk to him." He says, "I, I don't, I don't know anything." You know, <laughs> the funniest thing doing DVD commentaries with uh, Lou is that the first thing they say is, "Lou, uh, I don't, is there any censorship on this podcast?" Uh, if you want to, you can go ahead and I can bleep it out. Okay. Just, you know, you Lou would always it. say like something like, oh, "Look at that shit!" <laughs> In the middle of the comment, he'd say, "Lou, you can't say that on a DVD." <laughs> he said, "Oh, okay, okay, okay." He says, well, "What the fuck is that guy?" They <laughs> say, "Lou, you can't say that." <laughs> it was very great doing doing commentary with Lou because he said, "Oh, darn!" He says, "I just, you know." He was just that kind of a guy. He was very like spontaneous, and he was he was a little bit profane, as <laughs> you know, you can hear. Um, but wonderful, wonderful guy to work for. Um, my wife and I went to Maui one time, and and Lou was staying there. And he said, "Well, you got to come over to our. We have a condo on Maui, so you got to come over for screaming banana banshees, uh, which is a lethal, <laughs> lethal tropical drink that." Uh, it was a one. He uh, basically he, uh, he treated everybody like they were his like own son, daughter, cousin, f- friend. He just was that kind of a guy. He could be tough. Uh, Arthur could be tough. They everybody could be tough. That's the job. But you know they had huge hearts. These two guys. Um, 
Oh, Lou is still with us. I'm not talking about him like he's dead, but he's not. <laughs> I hope, and, and I hope he never goes because uh, really, he's 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 the best. He's one of the best guys I ever worked for, and uh, there's nothing. And outside of that, a lot of the writers are still my friends. I mean, Dorothy Fontana. We see each other all the time. Uh, Bob Forward and I work together. Uh, Buzz Dixon, uh, Len Wein, Marv Wolfman. Uh, you know, you, you get to know these guys anyway. Animation's kind of a small little world. Yeah. in uh, L.A., um, and uh, almost everybody knows everybody, you know. So I see people a lot that used to work on He-Man uh, and or Shira, and, um, yeah, so I stay in touch. Fantastic. So um, you worked on the Mike Young production version of He-Man. How did this all come about? Mm-hmm. Well, here's, this is one where... I heard that they were remaking He-Man. I heard Mattel was remaking me, uh, He-Man. And I had um, I had an agent at the time. I said, well, hey, listen, I mean, I'm like perfect for this. <laughs> you know, I could <laughs> use a job. You know, she says, oh, I, I can, you know, I tried, but they're not hiring. They can't get to them. I said, all right, this is, you know, people think you got it made when you get an agent, but you don't. <laughs> because <laughs> agents never get your work. You have to go get your work yourself. So... This was one thing I said. I get, you know, if they're doing this, I have to, I have to be in on it, and there's no reason I shouldn't be in on it. You know, I did the original show. I know, I know the show inside and out. You know, so I said, okay, uh, if my agent ain't going to take care of it, I'm going to get on the phone. So I did, in <laughs> fact, get on the phone, right? And, and then I called people that I knew, and I said, you know, who's? I said, who at Mattel is running? Um, He-Man, and they said Ian Richter. So I called up Ian Richter. Now, fortunately for me, Ian Richter, he was he was a young guy. He was in his 20s, you know. And because he was a young guy in his 20s, he had watched the original He-Man. So he knew who I was. And he was more than happy to hire me, you know. Um, I was hoping, of course, to, to be like story editor, staff writer, and so But he had already hired, um, I, I, I can't remember his name now. He's a good producer. Dean Stephen, was it? Hmm? Well, Dean, Dean Stephan, yeah, he hires a story editor, and Dean was a terrific story editor. Uh, Dean was good to work for, mm-hmm. um, as was the, but the executive producer, I can't, I can't, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, he told us to go to the Bible for stories. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he, my agent was no help at all, uh, but Ian said, <laughs> well, come on in. Uh, but that, the story I have to tell, I said, okay, all right, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to <laughs> thing. And he says, we want you to do an Orco story. <laughs> and I said, oh, oh, Lord in heaven. <laughs> I said, Orco. Now, as you know, I did a lot of Orco stories on uh, He-Man and, and several on Shira as well. Now, Orco was fun. I, and I have to admit I have fun, but Orco was the kid character of the show. And I traditionally hate the kid character of the show. <laughs> You know, I said, I got to do an Orco story. You know, other but you know, lessons I thought was one of the best scripts I've ever done for He-Man. Yes, uh, that first one. I, actually, I thought most of my scripts were good, except for the ones that bounced into second season. Uh, but that's that's how I got it there. I, I got there. I started writing, and they kept giving me work. Brilliant. So it was kind of a case with the Orco story. You almost got the script with the stake through it again then? <laughs> no, I just said, okay, I can do this. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, they let me do so many interesting things on that. I mean, they let me do the origin of Skeletor. 
you got to see how Orko, and that was t- t- taken right out of the original Filmation show, how Orko met Adam, uh, which we didn't do in as uh, you know in, a, in as big a way as we did it on Mike Young. We we actually didn't kind of do Orko's story; you just knew that he met him in the tar swamp. But we do, I did do I did get to do that in lessons, and I got to have him face off against Skeletor, <laughs> which yeah, is even more yeah. fun, you know. Uh, so uh, yeah, it was it was good, my, uh, Mike Young. Okay, so what were the differences when writing episodes for this new series when compared to the Filmation series? Well, I hate to say it, but let's face it: the animation was strictly superior. To <laughs> yeah. Filmation's animation. I mean, that, that animation for limited animation was really good animation. Um, and also, you didn't have to have He-Man punch the camera anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was no punches to camera. I mean, if he punched somebody, punch somebody. You yeah. know, and I, of course, I course I like that. Um, that was a difference between an attitude between uh, how Mike Young was doing the series and how Filmation always did it. Then Filmation always considered He-Man as a thing for small kids. Really, who really loved He-Man, the small kids? Um, you know, about six on up to like twelve, maybe. Uh, you know, uh, at Mike Young, they didn't have that. They said, "Well, you know, we can, you know, we can get more violent. We can, do, we can have more action in it. You know, we can do this, do that." The only thing I didn't like about it was that they made he went from teenager to to man, which was uh, I. I I kind of liked it was just Prince Adam and then he'd become He-Man, but they wanted to make him a teenager to get the young people in. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. other than that, you know, I mean, the, the, the animation was like what, we, what I used to dream about on filmation. I mean, I always write animation scripts as like, like I was writing Avatar. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, that's why I'd get in trouble with filmation because Hal Sutherland would come in and there would be dollar signs all over the script. <laughs> <laughs> these, are, these are great shots, but we can't do them. <laughs> you know, my theory was that we had a lot of creative people at Filmation, and we could have done them if we just maybe extended a little bit. We found ways to do that, like later in this series. Okay. But most of the time, I was I was the chief offender on budget, which I always <laughs> by the way. I always they, they don't like me on the budget guys never like me on a show because I like to spend their money. <laughs> Well, that's what you were there for. Just go, yep, yep. do this, do that, do this. Yep. So I understand you wanted to bring both Granamere and Shakoti into the new series. Um, how come this did not materialize? Well, I'll, um, I'll give you the straight stuff on this. Uh, I brought up using Granamere. I said, you know, I'd like to, you know, you know that character that I did in that. And, and immediately the response was, there's no talking dragons on He-Man. <laughs> that was just their policy. There were no talking dragons. You could have dragons, but none of them could talk. <laughs> I said, oh, well, okay, I can't fight that if that's your policy, you know. <laughs> now, Shakoti, I didn't, I wasn't really going to bring back Shakoti. I wanted to evoke her um, presence on Eternia as a visual reference. So I got all. I have a lot of material on House of Shakoti because it was a two-parter, or it was a strange two-parter. But because um, the axes, and I, I had a. <laughs> the first part was the second, really, you know, <laughs> because I, I, I was only writing it to be one one show. But uh, they, they 
they said, oh, no, the only way we can do this show is actually to amortize the cost and do two episodes. So I had kind of at the end of the show, and then I go back and kind of make the <laughs> pre I kind of had to make a prequel to it. And uh, it kind of worked. But I said, I just want to, that location, the Pool of Shadows, where he takes evil in in The Price of Deceit. Yes. Uh, and this is in the Mike Young. Uh, and Skeletor's going to sacrifice her to a, a great Cthulhu beast, which did, did have a lot of eyes and a lot of mouths this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, why don't we just make it look like the Pool of Shakoti, the Pool of Shadows? And they said, no, 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 we don't want to reference the old series. So... Uh, again, I was a freelancer and not a staff writer. I mean, I might have been able to, if I was a staff writer, I would just went and bust their balls every day. Eventually, <laughs> 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 they would have got tired of me. <laughs> Let me do it. So that's that's why it was very simply they just they didn't want to reference the old show, and they, they I don't know for some reason they didn't like Talking Dragons. It's a pity. Pity because mm-hmm. Grandmere, Grandmere was awesome. So, and I understand that they didn't want a talking cat, but a talking dragon would have been a bit different, you know. Yeah, well, um, I kind of miss Cringer too with talking. Although he was really yeah. great, and he was he was much more fierce in the new in the new series. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, were you surprised that the show only lasted twenty nine episodes? Now, my 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 opinion on that is yes and no. Because I thought the first season of the new Hema was great. I thought it was terrific. I thought they were doing exactly the right thing. Um, I said, I, I, you know, I had a little little thing with the so Adam's a teenager. Okay, doesn't really matter. Um, but you know, they had the characters the, down, and they, and then they, and, but they kind of matured those characters. They were they were much more sophisticated than they were um, in the old filmation show. Uh, as you recall, in the old He-Man, most of the villains were like dirt stupid. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they they talk stupid, and they were they were dumb as the dumb as posts, you know. <laughs> I mean, beast man, and you know, I mean, they could barely find you know a door, you know, let alone attack a castle. <laughs> you know, they just they just were dumb, and that was their that that was how Lou played it. All the villains are dumb, and Evil Lynn had this terrible kind of dumb the voice, you know. Whereas you know. You know, Evil Lynn was my gal, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big Evil Lynn fan. Um, even even on He-Man, I liked her, but the voice always got in my way, you know. On Mike Young's show, you know, Evil Lynn was pretty sexy. Yeah. And uh, and that's the way, and she was smart, too. Uh, as oh, was yeah. many of the villains. You know, many of the villains, they were, they were, they were more formidable villains than they were at He-Man just because of the attitude of the of the company putting on the, on the shows. Okay. Um. The reason I think the show uh, disintegrated was because of my old friends at Mattel. And this, this may ensure I'll never get hired by them again, but that's probably, <laughs> probably on, on, on It's okay. Way. We can edit this out if you want that edited out at a later date. I could do that for you. Oh, I don't care. You know, I'm too old to fool around like that anymore. <laughs> I just, you know, if I, if I mean I mean it, I mean it. You know, if they, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell the truth is what happened is the first season... Um, which I, don't, I forget how many episodes there were. It all did. Uh, was it thirteen or was it? Uh, no, it was twenty nine, right? So it was thirteen. Oh, thirty nine. Sorry, there was thirty nine altogether, not twenty nine. That's my mistake. Oh, there were thirty nine. That's what I thought. Thirty nine. Yeah, than my that. apologies. Yeah. Yeah, and the f- first season was longer than the second season, I believe. Yeah. 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 Well, what happened there, Frank? Quite frankly, is we were free of interference the whole first season. 
uh, I mean, there was there was notes. We would get notes, Dean and I. And the funny thing is, I was working on a show like in New York because my mother had just gotten Alzheimer's, and I was okay. flying back in, in New York to take care of her. And I'd have to I'd work in New York, you know, <laughs> kind of we had to do a time thing like we just did, Dean and I. <laughs> um, anyway, oh, I just lost my train of thought. Tell me what I would say. <laughs> you were talking about why uh, the show disintegrated. Ah, yes. In the second season, the show was a hit the first season. There was no doubt about that. People liked it. Uh, you know, people were watching it on their computers and, and you know, uh, typing in stuff, uh, the old fans saying, oh, isn't this great? Isn't this horrible? You know, uh, there was a lot of excitement about it. The second season, now having a hit, a hit which was made by writers, directors, producers, and voice actors, toy company executives suddenly decided, oh, we got a big hit here, let's, let's be more hands-on. And the hands-on was, well, our big line this year is going to be the Snake Man, so we want the Snake Man in every episode. And that's what killed He-Man. Okay. The second time. There were there were scripts I wrote that had no I I never did I didn't like Snake Man <laughs> I did one I did do one script I thought the Snake Man were all kind of like the same yeah. you know they, to me I said first of all kids don't want snake toys <laughs> they don't want snake <laughs> toys really, you know but they were so they said and less dialogue and more action 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 and say no you can you got to have a balance you got to have character and you got to have action. And they just beat us over the head with this, and then poor Dean, they would make him go and, you know, and, sh and shove Snake Man in where they didn't belong, which they did, I, I think, in my Price of Deceit episode, uh, which kind of messed... And, and first of all, it took out a great scene I had with Evelyn getting into the complex where Skeletor became uh, Skeletor. Uh, had a nice action sequence that I had to drop because they had to put Snake Man in it. And... It was. It got. It got to be. People said, "Geez, this it's the Snake Man again," and we're just not that happy with the Snake Man, <laughs> you yeah. know. And I would think really that is what killed the show. Would have been and, different. And the fact that one, once toy executives start to talk, uh, you know, your your brain just explodes. Yeah. <laughs> because would have been toy executives do consider the show a commercial. They will tell you that. They'll tell you that right to your face. And you sit there, you get a little offended. You don't say anything because you want your job. <laughs> but you get a little friendly because it's not a commercial to me. It's a story, and a story is sacred. So, <laughs> so they they sacrificed uh, story form um, commercialism, and I don't think they sold a, a single Snake Man figure. I'm sure they sold a couple, but uh, I, I didn't I didn't see anybody running out to buy Snake Man figures. No, and I think that's why it went down. I think if they if it had gone the way it went the the first season, that the show could have run easily three four years. Mm -hmm. Okay, it would have been but they did a really good job. They yeah. really did, but uh, they were again. It wasn't their fault. It was uh, they had to do what Mattel said. And I will and I'll cap that by saying, on the old He Man and on the old Shira, we never had to do what Mattel said. We would take mm -hmm. their suggestions as collaborators and financers, you know, but Lou's contract, Lou's, I, I was in a lot of meetings with Mattel, with Lou, and they would say, well, we want this and this, and Lou would say, well, no, <laughs> because <laughs> we're not going to do it. <laughs> and, oh, that's said, quite right. and, and then, you know, and he says, you can read the contract where we have control of the show. 
Uh, that was the last time a toy company ever made that deal, ever. <laughs> <laughs> ever. <laughs> ever. You know, that loose time would be because we had complete control of the show. The one I remember best is the meeting where they showed us a toy. It was kind of a catapult with a big rubber ball on it. <laughs> and they said, we call this the ball buster, and we'd like to feature it. <laughs> and Lou said, not, absolutely not. <laughs> we're, not putting, we're not putting a toy called the ball buster on the screen. <laughs> and, he said, and then they said, well, we know. Well, we want it. And then he said, well, read your contract. You don't have any, any right to tell us we have to do it. And that was the way the contract was. And that's, so, the, so the writers, directors, actors, producers made the show they wanted to make. It was a huge hit for two years. Years, and then along came Shira, which was a pretty good hit too. You know, and it's, that's the way it should be done. It's never done that way anymore. And I've worked on a lot of toy shows. Yeah, and people get paid to come up with ideas of calling a toy a ball buster, which is even more insane. Like, but well, well yeah, that's, that is pretty insane. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know. Also, you know, sometimes their prototypes, the legs would fall off and stuff like that. And all that. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, this, that's yeah, we want to do this, that one. This next question is probably going to be like everyone says it's like asking somebody to choose their favorite child. Out of all the episodes mm. you've ever written, when you look back, which ones are your favorites? Yeah, well, if I could remember any of them, <laughs> <laughs> I don't no, remember actually, any of You know, thank God for heman.org. <laughs> <laughs> I could never do one of these interviews. Well, The Dragon's Gift and The Return of Grandamere are both uh, both two of my favorite original He-Man episodes, as is The House of Shikoti. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I, I enjoyed most of the scripts I worked on. Uh, I wasn't too crazy about City Beneath the Sea because I don't, I don't like underwater <laughs> stories. Yeah. I, it's just a quirk of mine. I don't like underwater <laughs> stories. So... Um, but I did a couple of them. Uh, you had to get Merman in somehow. Uh, and uh, on Shira, uh, well, there's the movie, and I, I'm I'm going to mention the movie uh, because it was never a movie. It was the first five episodes of the series. Yeah. And when they said they were going to make it into a movie, I kind of blanched. <laughs> I said, "Well, it's not. It's not. It's not a movie. <laughs> it's five episodes." And it was because Bob Ford wrote the middle episode. Mm-hmm. For some reason, they thought I couldn't. They thought I couldn't write five episodes in time, which <laughs> I don't know why. You know, and that that was the first job that Bob Ford did as a writer. Um, the 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 middle the middle episode of uh, of uh, Secret of the Sword or you know of the seer of when it showed on it was an yeah. episode I forget what it was called um, it was Bob's favorite story they have a super weapon we have to destroy it <laughs> he loved that story he did that story a thousand times <laughs> but he was a good writer and that was that was his first writing job and after and when I left he he they hired him to to be a writer. He was a storyboard artist before that. Uh, he's also an excellent animation director. I hate to to extol my friends like this. But <laughs> he's, a, he's a he's a wonderful writer. He is a he is a good writer and he's a good friend. And we work together a lot. Now, and Shira, um, I have I have several favorites. Um, Huntara, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like the Huntara script. I, I I was kind of a little miffed that they made her purple. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I really wanted her to be a black woman. But, um, you know, this was a long time ago, and you'd be amazed how, you know, there was still a lot of racism around at that time. There still is now, but it's, it's not like it used to be. Um, the Crystal Castle is probably, you know, outside of the movie is probably the ultimate uh, episode that I did, and Troll's Dream I really liked for its yes. uh, uh, racial uh, things, which, of course, when they did the moral, they said, oh, I hope you get a lot of sleep, kids. I said, no, that's not what this story was about. How dare you write? I, t- I wrote it, a thing about, you know, you know, he was angry because somebody was different from him, you know, and, and they wouldn't do it. They made it. They made it sleep. I said, "What the hell does that have to do with this story?" I was pissed about that. I have to say, I Mike Young. I, I liked Lessons. I, I love The Price of Deceit. Yes. Um, and uh, and I, uh, there was another uh, instance of me slipping in a character that wasn't a toy with the faceless one, who yes. became quite a popular character off of that show. Uh, they did a, a very nice comic about it, Emilio Santalucci. Mm-hmm. Lucia, I think his name yes. is, and uh, yeah. my friend Alessandra Fucarino, that's a strange name, um, both from Italy, they did this comic there uh, that was all based on my on the faceless man's character, and they kind of filled in, um, you know, what they, what they thought might be his origin or something like that. I did do his origin on the show, as I recall. But I liked most of those episodes. Um, Except for history, in, in which, uh, again, I, I was forced to use the snake man instead of who I wanted to use. Yeah. And um, I, I thought most of them were good. Uh, yeah. I thought Lessons was very good, and I thought Price of Deceit was very good. Yeah, Price of Deceit would be one yeah. of my favorites. Yeah. I also liked Seahawk episodes. Uh, one the yeah. character, Michael Chase Walker. Um, did, he was briefly on staff before he went to work as an exec for CBS. Um, but I'm glad he created that character because I really liked that. I liked the Seahawk Adora romance. That he, well, he yes. wasn't after Cheer, he was after Adora. <laughs> kind of cute, you know. Um, so, so that's about it. I would say. You know, I, I did episodes. Uh, oh, we'll Treasure the first ones. I forgot to mention Octavia. There's another oh, character yeah. I flipped in on. <laughs> you gotta watch me. You know. Uh, this this works much better in live action where you get character payments if you create the character. <laughs> yeah, I used to I, I used to create characters on every show I worked on. So if, you know, if they use the character, if they like the character and use them again, I get paid. Mm-hmm. That was of course live action. <laughs> yeah. That didn't happen Not in animation. So, but I just did it to to make new characters. I love new characters, and I I liked Octavia. She was an octopus lady. Mm-hmm. Maybe that. I don't know if this was before or after. It was probably before Little Mermaid. So I don't. I don't think I stole it from Little Mermaid, but I might have. <laughs> <laughs> so, with regards to the internet, um, have you had much fan interaction over the years? Well, if you Google me, <laughs> <laughs> you will literally find me all. It looks like I'm the only one on the internet, and I'm all discussing <laughs> He-Man and Shira, among <laughs> other work. Yeah, I. It, I'm not. A lot of people say, "Ooh, fans!" You know, I want to. You know, I. Ooh, I don't want to deal with fans. They're all nutty. You know, um, I'm not that way. I. I don't think. Why would you be nutty for liking my work? <laughs> that wouldn't make you nutty in my in my case. Yeah, I mean, there's some writers that just. I don't know. They're just. Uh, they self-loathing or something, and they don't like anybody to 
praise them or praise their writing or something like that. I don't know what I don't know what their trip is. My trip is <laughs> like if you liked it and you say, "Hey, I, I really like that," you know, good. I'm glad you really like that, and especially so with with kid fans of the show. I did a lot of uh, conventions and stuff like that for He-Man. I went to Comic Con on a He-Man panel a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know everybody was you know running up to oh this is great that's that's terrific um, you know but I I like the fans and I love the little when you know there was this woman that always used to show up whenever I was there and she had a little boy I guess he was about nine just about the right age for He-Man you know eight or nine and uh, you know he'd come up to me and he'd, he'd just be you know, breathless, and he'd say, "Oh, Mister Dettilio." I think they again move with the Mister Dettilio. <laughs> so, you know, you could just call me Larry. You know, and I, you know, I just if sometimes somebody would ask me, I would send them something, you know, a cell from the show or something like that. You know, because the kids, you know, that was that's what that's who we were working for at Filmation. Mm-hmm. Um, as we were working for the the kids, and the kids, you know, they enjoyed it and they loved it, and. Um, I do have an anecdote which I'm going to pop out later, but I'll tell you that later. But okay, I do, no I do like discussing. I mean, I wouldn't want to do it every day, and I, I don't <laughs> like go on websites and and you know, you know, just spew all over them, because most people have already heard everything I've had to say. So, but you know, if I, mean, I don't want people, you know, writing me and you know, doing crazy fan things, but my most of my fans have been always very nice to me, and I'm more than happy to speak to them. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I appreciate you coming on here. So, with me being a, f- a fan, and uh, you know, like it's nice of you to come on and address the fan. You know, it's better, mm-hmm. as you say, it's better doing that than not acknowledging your work really and just going, "Yeah, I did, brilliant. I did that." Yeah. So, yeah. you know, well, it's what we to... forget is without fans, we're out of work. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> if you don't Very have true. any fans, that means you're not working, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So, given the chance, would you write for He-Man and She-Ra again? In a New York minute. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would actually. Several years ago, uh, an unnamed producer came to me and said, uh, "I want to do a live-action She-Ra movie." Oh. I said, "Oh, really?" Um, his his choice for She-Ra was Cameron Diaz, which I kind of liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, she kind of has the look. Um. However, this this turned into what the usual Hollywood thing. Unfortunately, I'm a professional writer, so I got out of it very quickly. I did write a short outline of mm-hmm. what I thought a new Shira movie should look like, and um, then they said, "Well, like, could you like write a like a bigger story or a whole script?" Now, of course, they're not paying me any money for this, right? <laughs> uh, I said, "Well, I could do that if you attach me to the project." I mean, if you yeah. make me a producer on the project, you know, and uh, you know, and guarantee me that I'm going to write the script if it's sold, you know, um, then I'll then I'll I will work for free because I have a guarantee. Now he wouldn't give me that guarantee, so I said, "Listen, come back when you got some money." I'm a professional writer. I'm, I'm not going to sell Shira for you. In fact, I was not even sure they had the rights to Shira at that point. I think they did, but it was it was definitely here. Work work for you know sell this for us, and we won't make you any promises uh, that you'll get a benefit at the other end, and you just don't <laughs> take a deal like that. You know, yeah. I actually looked at the outline uh, yesterday. It's, it's, that's not bad. I was going to start 
I was going to start with Hordak having been defeated and Shadow Weaver now in control. Oh. Of course, because I want to get my my own character now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, that's the way I, I you know I would think of doing a, a movie is is to continue the story that was done in Shira. The only thing with the problem with me with Shira is that I didn't work the whole second season, so I don't know anything about that season. I never saw it because <laughs> I was busy working to watch it. You gotta have it okay. on DVD. But I didn't write any of it, so you know, I, I it was I was I was gone, and uh, that that was it. I was you, you have to finish. You move on to the next thing. Okay, fantastic. So but I would like you, you know if it if it comes up again, I'm I'm available. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll I'll leave that there. I'll actually uh, just put that uh, just everywhere. Just Larry to tell you available to write Shira project if necessary. Right. <laughs> So, have you obtained any He-Man or She-Ra merchandise over the years whilst working on the shows? Well, the filmation at filmation, no, we never got. They never gave us anything at filmation. The right, they never gave the writers anything at filmation. They gave. They there was plenty of toys for the for the ink containers and the animators because they had to look at the toy and you know make, make the model exactly the same. Yeah. So they got toys, and the, we writers didn't get any toys. But when I went to work for Mike Young, um, um, I was actually kind of, I guess I was working more for Mattel than Mike Young, but I was kind of working. <laughs> but Mattel sent me a huge box of every toy they were putting out um, on the new, on the Mike Young He-Man. So I got, I got everybody. It was great because I like to use those figures to, like to, when I write to, you know, to just give myself a visual um, thing and how the characters are going to look in a battle or, you know, or, or in an action sequence, you know. So to have all those toys was great. Of course, they're all neatly in their boxes and packed away for my future, for my future retirement. <laughs> yes, that's the same, that's the same with me. So it is. Yes. Um, yeah. um, so. But they gave me everything. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, Masters of the Universe and Princess of Power mean so much to so many people. Does it feel good to have worked on projects that are fondly remembered today? No, it feels terrible. <laughs> no, it's really terrific. That's a wrong answer. Uh, now I'm, I'm going right. to pop out that anecdote. I went okay. out. I went out to have uh, my the battery in my watch died after several years, so I I always go to the same place. It's a, a watch company up up uh, uh, a couple of blocks from me. And I went in there one day just to get a battery for my watch. And I'm I'm standing around. The guy says, hey, we'll put it in for you and you can wait around. And the guy was a guy, again, again, he was in his 20s, I think, early 20s, you know. And we were just chit-chatting while I'm waiting for the watch. And, and, and he said, you know, what's going on? And he says, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a writer. I said, I've, I've, I've written, like, a lot of animation and, uh, you know, a thing. And he said, oh, yeah, like what? And I said, well, I don't know, He-Man. And the guy... He got this look on his face like an angel had just appeared. <laughs> he said, He-Man? He said, you wrote He-Man? <laughs> I said, yes. I said, I wrote 15 of those, and I wrote 15 shears. He says, I love He-Man. He says, He-Man was my whole life when I was a kid. And 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 he was sort of very serious about this. And, uh, you know, I, so I didn't laugh too much. <laughs> He says, he says, you know, I, I want to thank you, sir. He says for the work you did, you know, you did on that. He says, it, you know, it made my childhood. You know, mm -hmm. and I've had that response from a lot of people. Now, if you can't feel good about that, your heart is probably make, made of stone. Yes, <laughs> uh, you should feel good about that when somebody tells you, "I really love this." Um, mm -hmm. You know, and all those writers that are complaining about their work on He-Man, they should all. <laughs> 
Well, let them meet one of their fans and see if they still want to complain. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it is. It's, it feels, it, it's, it's astounding, and I'm going to tell you the truth. You know, with writers, it's a job. It's a job that you did, and you, you finished it, and you moved on, and you got another job, and you got another job, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there are always special jobs, and He-Man and Shira were my two beginning special jobs in, in the entire industry. It got me started, you know, eventually moved into live action with Babylon 5 and Captain Power and all that stuff. Um, and so it, it was good to me. It was, and uh, that's why I'm, I'm you know, I, that's why I do interviews like this, because it was good to, if I had a lousy time, I, uh, why would I want to do an interview on, on what was, <laughs> right, what right. But it was, it was nothing but just one long play session of, of wonderful sword and sorcery stories and you know, and even with the limited animation, I mean, the stories affected people. Yes. We got great letters. We got all kinds of good stuff. So, yeah, I feel good about it. Fantastic, fantastic. So, last question for you, Larry, is where can people find your work, and what are you currently working on? Oh, okay. Well, well all the He-Man and Mishira stuff is on DVD around the world. Mm -hmm. Uh I've done stuff for Australian companies. I've done stuff for all kinds of companies on DVDs. They always pay in DVDs on that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, I did get paid for one of the one of the commentaries that was done here. Um, Straczynski wanted to get paid, so they said, "Well, he he hardly did anything, so if we'll pay him, we'll <laughs> pay, pay you. I'd rather pay you." <laughs> so he paid me. You know, Babylon, my Babylon 5 work is on DVD. Uh, I don't know if there's a Captain Power disc out. There used to be. Um, but most of my stuff you can you can probably find on, on Amazon somewhere, you know. Uh, certainly if you Google me, you'll find a, a, lot of, a lot of hits. And there's a thing that has all my credits on it. Uh, all you IMDb. have to do is... You know, just... Uh, no, it's not IMDb. It's a, it's a place that has actually... Um, just about every credit I have. Uh, I forget oh. what it's called. It's another one of those encyclopedias. Oh, Freebase. Freebase? Right. Yeah, Freebase, I think it's called. There's that, and there's Wikipedia as well. You could probably find yourself on, I would imagine. I'm in Wikipedia. I should get on Wikipedia and actually work on my, uh, <laughs> work on my profile. Because the one thing I'll tell you about the internet is, you know, it's a it's a godsend for you know linking with fans and you know learning a lot about shows and uh, you know I we always, I always talked I try, try to talk to fans of things like that when we worked on Beast Wars we did a lot of talking to fans when we first got into it to get information that we didn't necessarily have. You know, it's a great thing, but on the other hand, there's a lot of misinformation. Uh, there are, there's, I, I never hit a website where they have a script that I didn't write listed for me and a script that I did write listed <laughs> as somebody else having wrote it. And I said, where did they get that information? Because <laughs> you know, that information is wrong. It's wrong. On these computers, you know, they're supposed to work good. But yeah. um, what I'm working on now, um, not much. I'm kind of enjoying life um, I might write a book a serious book about my family um, I have you know uh, I basically I'm in a good position I don't I don't have to write <laughs> for a living okay. I can I can write for my own fun but I don't have to go running around looking for a job because I already made my money Brilliant. Brilliant. so I thought at some point I had a let's see I had a bout of prostate cancer my heart almost uh, 
went right through my ear. <laughs> and uh, and after that, after that, those all those all happened on the milestones. Uh, one happened just before I turned fifty. One happened just before I turned sixty. <laughs> I said, you know, I ain't got too many years left here, so <laughs> do I want to go through this thing? And then, of course, the, the older you get, uh, they don't want to hire. A, I'm going to be sixty-two in February. They don't want to hire a sixty-two-year-old <laughs> animation writer. That's for sure. <laughs> And, I'm, and uh, even though I'm a gamer, I even I go to sometimes I I apply for like writing video games, um, all right. which I have all the skills for. But the minute they look at me and they see gray hair, they say, "Oh well, this guy's old. He don't know anything about this." So they throw me out, you know. Uh, and by the time I, you know, I I the the people I was meeting at with various studios were looking like high school kids that just got out of, <laughs> out of class at 3 o'clock. <laughs> I said, uh, you know, it's time to just relax and enjoy life for a while. But I'll get back to it. And, um, and writing, uh, if, you write, if I write a book, I'm in complete control of it. So, true. Right, true. You know, so that's what, that's probably, that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm hitting toward. And I still role play, so I also do a couple of role play things. Published a lot of role play games. If you're a role player, I got a bunch of games out there which are certainly worth playing if you can find them. They're probably out of print. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Larry, it's been an absolute joy and a, my complete honour and privilege to have you on the show. Um, I really thank you uh, again, you know, for coming on and clearing a bit of time from your schedule to come on the show. It's it's been fantastic words can't really describe it I'm like that guy who's fixed the watch whose eyes have just <laughs> lit up and went oh, you wrote it He-Man wow but uh, it's been truly an honour and I thank you very much thank you it was fun <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. brilliant fun is my fun is my fun is my my modus operandi that's good that's yeah good. if I'm going to have fun doing it then I'll do it brilliant um what? Now I have to write another thing for a, <laughs> it's not for a podcast, but it's for an online magazine. Oh, right. It's about my game, about my game work. It's not about my, uh, it's a game magazine called The Escapist online. Okay. Somebody sent me the stuff about the things, uh, the game stuff I've written, okay. which has been fairly extensive. Brilliant. Well, again, Larry, thank you. Thank you very, very much. I really Do you want me to do a uh, promo? Yeah, well, I'll just I'll just wrap this here up, and then I'll get you to do that at the end um, of it. Okay. So um, again, thanks very much, Larry. Uh, I've been Chris Vint, also known as Vintoman, and mm-hmm. I've just spoken to Larry to tell you on the telephone. Wow. Uh, see you all until next time, then, folks. Hey guys, this is Pixel Dan, and you're listening to Chris Vint on the Masters of the Universe Chronicles podcast. This is Emiliano, and you're listening to Chris Vint's Masters of the Universe Chronicles. Hey guys, this is John English, a.k.a. Master English, and you are listening to Chris Vent, a.k.a. Vento Man, with Masters of the Universe Chronicles. Hey, I'm John Callis, and you're listening to Masters of the Universe Chronicles with Chris Vent. Hey there, I am Robert Lamb, and you are listening to Masters of the Universe Chronicles. Hi, this is James Etock, a.k.a. Buster Tools. Put down your He-Man and She-Ra figures because you are listening to Chris Vint with the Masters of the Universe Chronicles. Hi there, this is Chris Vint from the Masters of the Universe Chronicles. Today was a discussion about many figures and I was joined today by... Hey guys, Pixel Dan here, joining Chris Vint to talk about our favorite Masters of the Universe figures, including the likes of Roboto. This is Roboto. 
Chronicles correspondent, taking the day off to speak with my friends about our favorite figures. So, find out what everyone's favorite figures was. There was discussion about Eva Lynn, Roboto, Mosquitoor, and the a very obscure Staghorn. Do you know anything about it? Nor did I. Tune in to find out. Hi, this is Dean Stephan. I was head writer for the 2002 Mike Young version of Masters of the Universe. And this is Chris Vince, Masters of the Universe Chronicle. The first and last word in all things He-Man and the Masters. Hi, this is Larry DeTilio. You're listening to Chris Vince with the Masters of the Universe Chronicles. Thanks for listening, fans. This is Scott Knightwick, brand manager for Mattel on the Masters of the Universe Classics line, and you're listening to Chris Vint with the Masters of the Universe Chronicles. Hey, guys. Chris Vint and I hopped into our attack track, picked up some fellow Masters, and headed over to the Royal Palace to discuss the classic bios around the courtyard. Find out who the Masters are next month. Hi. I am Adam. My name is Kevin D. Smith. Uh, my name is Wade Thurman. And- uh, my name is Chris Sunday. Hello, this is Roger Sweet. I just had an excellent conversation with Chris Vint of Masters of the Universe Chronicles. Thank you. Hi, I'm Roger Lee Jr. I'm the producer of the upcoming documentary film Toy Masters. And you are listening to Chris Vint and the Masters of the Universe Chronicles. Hey, this is uh, Tom Cito for Chris Vint and Master of the Universe Chronicles. Hey guys, this is Pixel Dan, and you're listening to Chris Vint on the Masters of the Universe Chronicles podcast.